Hello, this is Chris O'Regan, and you're listening to The Sausage Factory. Is episode 440 of The Sausage Factory. In this episode, I interviewed Dylan Geddig of Red Nexus Games and asked them about the design and development of the dexterity puzzle action adventure hybrid Peglin. I always tried to summarize the game in a, like three or four words that's featured in an episode of The Sausage Factory. You probably noticed that, those of you who've listened before. I don't think I do a terribly good job of it, but I try. I try. Speaking of trying, Peglin is a game you do try and try and try again because it has a lot of randomness attributed to it. It's basically Peggle mixed with, I don't know, some kind of roguelike? No, rogue itself, rogue, like uh, a role-playing game. Not quite. It's more, it is more of an action-adventure game because you get abilities and powers the further you get on. It's a wonderful meshing of ideas that could have gone horribly wrong, but it doesn't. And it's a very, very popular game indeed. If you listen to episodes prior to this one, you see many developers, or hear many developers, I should say, make reference to Peglin as the game that's distracting them from completing the game they're trying to make. So without further ado, let us listen to me from the relatively recent past talk to Dylan about Peglin. Chris, take it away. Hello, Dylan. Hey, Chris. Thanks for having me today. Can you tell us who you are and what you do? Sounds good. Yeah, I'm Dylan Gedig. I'm the founder of Red Nexus Games and the designer of Peglin. I've been making games for a little over 10 years now, uh, but Peglin is pretty much the only thing that anyone would know me from. What a, what a game. 
I'm so happy that you agreed to take part in an episode of The Sausage Factory, which is 440. That's a number, isn't it? Crikey. <laughs> How did you make your start making video games, Indon? Uh, I've been at it for a long time now. Um, originally, I wanted to be an author and uh, tried writing a novel. Didn't start with short stories or anything smart like that. Just tried jumping straight into it. Uh, realized how difficult it was. Thought, uh, you know, with video games, it's not just one person that can ask to sit down and make this Herculean effort. That would kind of let me ease my way in. You know, maybe I could just write like Barks for a while and become like a video game writer. Um, you know, well, I kind of worked on that on the side. Uh, and I was looking into like, you know, how do I get hired as a video game writer? Oh, that's no easy task either. Um, I'd better get like a portfolio going. So I started to teach myself some like C++ to write these little like, you know, text-based adventures and ideally move up from there. Um, and I just discovered that I really, really enjoyed programming. Um, I still enjoy writing, uh, but programming kind of stole the show for me. And so I went to get a computer science degree and start making my own games and uh, just kind of fell into it from there. It's been just one foot in front of the next since then. As a creator of things, Dylan, could you tell us what are your biggest influences? Oh, that's kind of all over the place, honestly. Um, I drive some of my friends crazy because I'm very much like a dabbler of games, whereas like they like to you know pick up one game, play it until it's completely done, and then shelve it and move on to the next thing. Um, and I have a Game Pass, and that is just like Pandora's box, where it's just like, you know, I'll play a game for like 20 minutes, just see what they're doing with it, see what kind of like UX like wins or uh, losses I've seen in there that I can kind of pull into my future projects. Um, you know, for those that have played Peglin, the art style and the music and everything, that obviously has a lot of uh, nostalgia to it. Um, so there is a lot of like references back from like, you know, the Super Nintendo era, the PlayStation era, um, lots of like uh, JRPG inspiration. Um, but, you know, it kind of pulls everything through to modern games as well. Um, I guess Peggle is like 10 years old at this point, at least. So it's not modern, quote unquote, anymore. Um, but, you know, Slate Inspire as well. Amazing game. Um, really helped us like set up the structure and scope of Peglin. Um, yeah, so the, we pulled an inspiration from kind of all over the place. Next question. What video game developer do you admire most and why? Oh, that is a very hard question. I would say when it comes to like a team of developers, um, extremely okay games. Uh, the developers of uh, Towerfall and Celeste. Um, I think just like both how transparent they are about their history and their process, where the creators just have like lists of like every single game that they've ever made. And so you can just look and see like, you know, Towerfall, uh, which was a, a, a massive success in its own right. Not even like, you know, it still pales compared to Celeste, which is just a, a mega hit. Um, but, you know, that just didn't come out of nowhere. Um, if you look at the creator's like uh, uh, list of games, that's like their like 30th game, I think. It's just like something that they've just been like working on and iterating on for so long. Um, and there's just this definitely this big misconception that a lot of these big games just kind of, oh, they just whipped this thing together, you know, in like a weekend or a month or however long. 
and it just skyrocketed to fame and success and fortune. Um, and they were just an, an overnight hit, a one hit wonder. Um, and I, I think anybody that works to dispel that uh, goes a long way in my eyes. And then seeing them continue that success forward with Celeste is just really inspirational. You know, it's like this is something that they are working towards. They're honing their skills. They're building this platform bigger and bigger. Um, yeah, I think it's, you know, in a small team like myself, like we kind of aspire to be uh, just all kind of ties together to, to, yeah, make them quite favorable in my eyes. If ever there was a game that respects the player's time, it's Celeste. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think they did some lovely things with it. And like, um, I like difficult games that aren't punishing, you know, and Super Meat Boy kind of uh, like was the epitome of that, I thought, where your deaths were just instant, just so fast. Um, and I feel, yeah, Celeste is very similar as well with all the bonus challenges that it adds and everything. Um, yeah. Great team. Last question of the first half. Here we go. Dylan, I have to ask you this because it's a video game podcast after all. What are you playing right now? Um, that's a good question. I'm actually, so I just finished off uh, Chained Echoes a few days ago. And so I haven't like jumped into JRPGs are kind of my, my main genre that I play. Um, because if I'm alert and awake enough to be playing like an action game, generally like I'm at my own computer working on my own games because a lot of the challenges in making a game and playing a lot of games are quite similar. And so if I have that mental energy, um, then I would prefer to be doing that. Uh, so I tend to play JRPGs when I'm just like so dead tired that I can't like, you know, string a coherent line of code together. Um, just something turn-based and chill and kind of more like reading a book than playing a game in some ways. Uh, so I just finished that off. We're kind of looking at what to be playing next. Um, but I am also in progress in uh, Nino Kuni. And then I just opened up like Gears Tactics the other day, which I had gotten a few hours into and thinking like I might go back to that and finish that off before I jump into something. Um, but otherwise, I'm looking at games like uh, the Persona series right now. Uh, three, four and five all just got launched into Game Pass. So there's my next like 500 hours of gameplay sorted out if I choose to jump into it. Oh, yes, Persona. The only reason I said it on a Vita. <laughs> well, excellent answers. We could go on and talk about all sorts of things like Gears of War tactics, making that in the XCOM into Gears of War, which is a very simplistic way of saying it, but ultimately it's very similar to that. Genius move. Genius move. But we have Peglin to talk about, and we're going to do that in the second half. So let's do that.
So, first question, Dylan. Is it really a question? It's a request. Could you tell us? And I really wish you the very best of luck. What is Peglin? <laughs> um, yeah, we have a, a few uh, elevator pitches for it. So I'll just kind of roll through them all. Generally, I give one. And then if the person staring back at me has like a blank stare, I kind of move on until we can find something that they recognize. Um, the first one we always try is like a pachinko roguelike. Because the people that know what pachinko is just get like really excited right off the bat. It's like, there's no pachinko video games. This is great. Um, then we kind of bump down to like, you know, have you played Peggle before? Um, so there's a lot of uh, Peggle inspiration in there. Um, you know, shooting a ball, bouncing it around, uh, trying to rack up as much score as you can. Um, and then failing that, we kind of go back to like Plinko. And, you know, a lot of the audience that doesn't know what the first two things are, uh, has seen Plinko from like The Price is Right. So that usually gets us there. Um, but in a nutshell, uh, Peglin is a roguelike deck builder where instead of collecting cards, you're collecting different pinballs with different effects. And then you bounce those through a pegboard, popping any peg that you hit. And the more that you hit, the more damage that you deal. And you're a tiny little goblin, a little Peglin, trying to fight off waves of enemies to progress through three stages uh, and beat three different bosses on your run. It is exceptionally engrossing. Despite the simplistic nature in which Dylan described, there are layers, everyone. There's that, there's that little <laughs> reference. Like an onion, there are indeed layers. And we're going to delve into those layers right now. The first, and I would point out, yes, is Peglin does have the you know, Peggle thing, minus the Ode to Joy, at least as far as I'm aware. But <laughs> there is joy being had with playing, though. So may not listen to the tune, but there it is. First question, then. There is an element of randomness to Peglin that does force the player to mitigate against the effects of this randomness. That's what you're doing. You're trying to <clears throat> manipulate chance in your favour. During the design of Peglin, how did you address the fears of players who might find this a bit of a problem, a bit of a barrier? Like, I'm sorry, I'm just subject to the movement and the physics of this ball. How is this, how am I supposed to optimise or how am I supposed to overcome the seemingly insurmountable odds? Because believe me, poor Mr Peglin, he's, he's, well, they, sorry, are faced with quite a horde of creatures. So what, do you, what have you done doing a design to smooth out that anxiety? Yeah, that's a very good question. Um, from a player perspective, um, like a player perception perspective, we haven't done too much to address that. Uh, Peglin has always just been like a game that I wanted to exist. Like I really made the game for me. And it started during the pandemic. So it was just a, a passion project. You know, the, the goal for Peglin was never to make money. It was never to, to hit any sales targets or anything like that. It was just like, I'm going to be locked in my house for the next like six plus months anyway. I would like to come out of that with a new game on Steam um, just to, you know, build up that portfolio and kind of take another shot at being indie and all that good stuff. Um, but really, there was never a time where I was thinking, like, I should ease up on this style of design to appeal to these kind of players. It was really just like a, a gut feel, like, 
do I enjoy this? And I had, you know, a pretty high tolerance for randomness. Um, once we kind of got it out and playtesting, uh, which was really crucial to like, you know, finding the bits that made Penguin fun and leaning into those. Uh, playtesting was just like, we would not be here without it. That is for sure. I would, I would like to look into a parallel universe and see um, what the game might look like. But, you know, it certainly wouldn't be as good as the one that was tested by fire. Um, but once we got it out there, you know, we started, we weren't focusing so much on like reducing the randomness necessarily, but we were focusing on like, how do we make it more entertaining? Um, and in a lot of cases, it's actually like increasing the randomness. You know, you're, you're adding explosions, you're adding the bombs blowing up and pushing your orb around the screen at 900 miles per hour. Um, you're adding relics that like are supposed to magnetize onto things, but maybe don't always behave as nicely as you would want them to. Uh, um, just crazier and crazier effects kind of um, layered on top of that default physics. And then you're just kind of like, you know, letting the player deal with that. Um, and I think one of the things, you know, we learned pretty early on that our game was never going to be as tightly balanced as Slay the Spire is. Because, you know, Slay the Spire, you play a card, you know exactly how much damage that's going to do. The numbers in Slay the Spire are just so, like, nicely, tightly balanced. Um, but in Peglin, like, any given shot can range from, like, zero damage to, like, literally millions. We've had shots where players just roll over the damage counter. And so we learned pretty early on that, like, our balancing task was more balancing the speed at which players could ramp up into those crazy builds than the actual like nice tight number balancing itself uh so that was a bit of a, a learning curve for us um you know i think we're doing decently and it really affords us some flexibility with things like the crucible levels where we can just kind of slowly put the squeeze on and if it requires the player to get closer and closer to those really crazy million damage builds to be able to, to fight further, to progress further, um, we kind of get a little bit of leeway that way. It's just quite neat that you started talking about the power-ups and the abilities that you can inflict onto the ball because that's my next question because they are very potent in Peglin, the, 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 the power-ups as I call them, to the ball. When you get... Sometimes you get ridiculous combinations by accident, not by design, because that looks. Because <laughs> I generally pick them. Go, that looks. That sounds funny. I go with that. See what happens there. And it's just chaos reigns because that's. I like that. It's just. It, it suits my style of play, if you can call it that. But could you talk us through? And you sort of hinted at it a little bit more. But I wanted to delve a little bit more on their their design and how they are delivered to the player. Yeah, definitely. Um, it really does start as just like us throwing a bunch of stuff at the wall. Uh, the game was really architected for us to be able to add content as quickly as possible. Um, so there is a bunch of stuff that, you know, we've put in and just like, oh, this isn't fun at all. Um, let's just pull that back out. And we only wasted like two hours of testing. So it's really not a big deal. Um, so just throwing a bunch of stuff at the wall, seeing what sticks, seeing what what is fun and you know, what might combine well with some of the other mechanics in the game. Um, and then, yeah, just letting, letting the best stuff stay. Uh, for our next update, we are being a lot more deliberate. Um, it's introducing, you know, three new classes. 
uh, each with around 20 orbs. And right now there are 19 orbs in the game. So it's like a really big addition to the, the, the player content pool. Um, and we're like taking like, you know, we actually have like some charts now to be like, okay, these things will specifically synergize with these other things. And let's make sure that everything ties together. Um, and yeah, I wouldn't say that the classes have, uh, well, one of them has a really strong focus on like board manipulation. Um, the others will feel a bit more comfortable to you know, players of these typical card games where you're kind of building up your own synergy. Um, but they do all, they all have a little bit of board manipulation. There's always a little bit of stuff going on there. Um, but yeah, we're kind of working on expanding out the different ways to play the game right now. Um, and it won't be as extreme as some other roguelikes. Like, uh, if you know, if you played Dicey Dungeons, each of their characters is like a radically different way to interact with the systems. We won't be quite that far, but we'll be kind of in between there and maybe something like Slay the Spire where it's just the cards changing. I'm always reminded about Slay the Spire having people having spreadsheets to optimize their play. Uh, and that sort of identifies the kind of relationship people have with that game because it lends itself to that kind of experience. And that's fine. But like I said, the randomness of Peglin is appealing. Now, there is one aspect of Peglin isn't random, is more, I'm going to del- use the word delicately, strategic or maybe tactical. Probably tactical. But you're, you can't really have multiple enemies heading your way. You can prioritise which ones you're actually going to strike with, with, with damage. So you can spread the damage out or focus on one particular enemy depending on the situation you're faced with. And they're, they're coming from the right-hand side of the screen heading towards Peglin over to the left. And, you know, it's, uh, it's a fascinating sort of like at odds with everything else that's going on. It feels, of, and I just want to know, how did this come about? Was it always there, or was it something you introduced? It's a lovely little mechanic that adds a little bit more agency on the part of the player. Yeah, I think we always kind of intended it to be there. Um, the original pitch for Peglin was kind of like, um, you know, what if Peggle had a puzzle quest counterpart? Because um, Bejeweled has, you know, 900 spin-off games, right? Um, and we were learned, learned a little later, like why that was. It turns out that there's like a bunch of patents that you either need, you know, need to dance around very carefully, um, which we were not aware of when we started development. Uh, so that was a bit of a wake up call. Um, but yeah, the, the goal was always to kind of have that kind of JRPG style combat um, where some of the strategy would come from which enemies to prioritize and everything. Um, but yeah, like you said, with the spreading damage, uh, that some of those kind of decisions came up a bit more organically with like once bombs were added to the board and we had that kind of AOE in place, you know, spreading damage makes more sense in Peglin than it does in a lot of other games, um, depending on the board that you're playing. So, you know, we just wanted some of those like emergent decisions. Uh, the goal for Peglin is really for like each individual piece to be quite simple and then for the complexity to come from the combination of those pieces. Um, not only because it's easier for players to kind of pick up and grasp, but it also is easier from a programming side. Um, you know, you, if you can avoid these really like intense dependencies, um, you can kind of make your game a bit more modular, make it a bit more easy to just kind of throw things together 
Um, and then, yeah, let the complexity come from those combinations. Not to say that, you know, you won't end up with any bugs between the, the ways that uh, pieces of content um, uh, work with each other. That's definitely the majority of our, like, headaches have been from order of operations and all of this, like, crazy things that come when you've got, like, 10 stacks of effects, like, all trying to occur at the same time. Uh, but at least it's not all, like, all trying to operate off of one single object and working off of there. Uh, the modularity has definitely like saved our bacon a little bit. Um, yeah, we do wish that we had like kind of really set the game out to like be moddable and be like very modular. Uh, but we honestly never expected Peglin to actually like be successful or find an audience. Um, so that's that's probably our biggest regret in development there. Yeah, it's just a case of, well, yeah, of course we need a. Uh, a Peggle game mixed with a, a you know, uh, a roguelite RPG. Well, why couldn't we have this? Oh, wait. You know, it's just the conversation never really obviously had. And they were in the middle of the, the pandemic, which we, everyone, everyone else come out of in different ways. Um, but you'd sat down and, well, well I'll just have this spark of inspiration and make this. No one's going to want to play this. But hey, at least it's in my portfolio. As you openly admitted, it's like, I'm just adding to my my catalog of work. You know, this is going to be my library of of work. It, that's all. That's what this is. I'm going to learn from this. Oh wait, hang on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was as soon as people started like joining the little Discord that you know we had out publicly, just as a good place to get feedback. But up until that point, like you know, I had done that for most of my little game jam games, and it was still just like a place for like myself and I think like nine of my friends to chat like the discord was absolutely tiny and as soon as people started like joining that and you know very quickly outnumbered us obviously uh, that was kind of a little bit of a, a wake-up call and then we had a bunch of other wake-up calls and you know i like to say that we we did the best we could to adapt as we went um but it's still been surprising like every single day that we've been working on the game so peglin then has an overworld map, as all the best adventure games do. Now, it branches, because that's how overworld maps work, and the choice about which branch you take is dictated to by where the ball lands at the bottom of the map, or the bottom of the table. Why is this adopted? <laughs> I'm not complaining, far from it. I'd find it... It's a work of genius because you you know if you give a branch branching path to a player, typically they're the one that chooses where they go. But I've lost count the amount of times you go. I really would like some treasure right now because I need to bump up something. You know, I want to add something to my. I'll just fire off the ball. It'll be fine. Ping, and it goes swinging <laughs> off the other side onto one of the boss monsters. Like, really? Really? I'm just asking, what what made you think that? Was it was it part of the ethos of, of Peglin? You thought, well, let's just make it that, or was it something that evolved? Was it I'm just curious, how did it come about? Yeah, definitely. Um so in the first versions, uh you actually traveled from like left to right because you know that made sense with like Peglin's over here, you're fighting these monsters, you go that way. And then we were like playing around with 
you know, trying to like shoot through hoops and like, you know, have to do a skill shot to like bounce and go through one of them. Um, and it just like, obviously wasn't really clicking together because it was just like the shots were kind of over convoluted and it was a little frustrating. And I played round guard at that time. We'd had Peglin in development for about three months, I think. And then somebody had shared with me like, hey, somebody else made a Peggle roguelike. Um, and I was heartbroken for like, you know, a few days. And then I was like, okay, just because they did it doesn't mean we still can't do it. And then we ended up like meeting the developers and they are just absolutely lovely. Um, and I like to think we've helped each other out a ton at this point. Um, but anyway, so I played that and, you know, they had the like bottom navigation and it was like, of course, like as much as I love the like, you know, the, the in-game consistency of like traveling left to right and then actually progressing in that direction, this just makes a hundred times more sense. So we're going to flip our game on its side, um, do it that way. And then it also made a lot more sense for like, we had the system of clearing pegs in. So when you cleared a peg during battle, even if you had refreshed it, if it had been popped at any point, it would disappear, which when trying to bounce off of them to navigate to the side of the screen was just frustrating and weird. But as soon as you were getting them out of your way to choose a direction, it just like it all just clicked together. It made way, way more sense. Uh, so that's definitely why we rolled with that. Um, and yeah, we try to keep it a little subtle. We don't want to try and overload the player on their first time through. Um, but after like your first run or your second run, um, you can start to notice that like pegs that have been popped previously are like a little duller than other pegs. And so you should only really notice it if you're looking for it. But if you know ahead of time which direction you would like to take in a battle, um, you can start digging in that direction and popping those pegs and getting them out of your way. And that just works really nicely. You know, in addition to having that crit peg that moves around, you kind of want there to be a bunch of different ways to solve these levels. Otherwise, every time it comes up, it's like, I've solved this puzzle before. I'm just going to do this exact series of moves. Um, and that, you know, certainly wouldn't be as, as fun or have the replayability as having these different ways that you're trying to clear the levels from almost like sub goals. I'm glad you made reference to Round Guard because we have had them on the show, the developers on, on the show as well. So it's a nice little symbiosis there. Uh, uh, I think it's a very different game. Uh, there's some dexterity, mid-dexterity aspects of it that aren't present in Peglin really, which is fine because they are very different games, I believe. Um, and the, the balls were huge, uh, whereas in this in, in Peglin it's this little dot, which is what, you know, uh, the Peglin or sorry Peggle was or similar games or of similar ilk. So yeah, um, I'm glad you sort of like crossover between you two because uh, I'm not surprised actually. But yeah, I just, yeah. I, no, we are uh, very very glad that they exist because yeah. we keep on having players come and you know ask for like a nudge feature in Peglin or like active abilities in Peglin. And, yeah, you know, I just kind of tell them like that's just not what Peglin is. No, um, Peglin is like purely turn based. Um, but if that's something you're interested in, you know, go check out Round Guard. Round Guard, and yeah. we're we're in a, we're in a bundle with them. Uh, we we do a lot of collaboration now when it's possible. Uh, no, the lo developers are lovely. So yeah, it's been are. really really nice being able to work with them. So, Peglin then uh, is developed by Red Nexus Games. Yes, where's the name come from? Not Peglin, but Red Nexus. 
Uh, yeah, I wish I had a better story for this, but That's it's right. um, the company was originally called uh, Bit Bizarre Games, which I was just completely enamored with. I thought I was the most clever man in the world. Uh, you know, started got the domain name for that and started advertising a little bit. And within like two weeks, I got like a very polite cease and desist from a company in Toronto. Um, and they were actually like a little game store. Did not have very good web presence because I searched around to see if anyone was using the name. But anyway, they sent me this thing being like, hey, we're using this name. Um, we'd prefer if you didn't. And I was like, okay, I'm not going to like stomp my feet and try and like bully another little Canadian company out of the, using the name. Um, so I was scrambling. You know, we'd already sent in a bunch of documents to the government. So I could incorporate the company, get the ball rolling. And uh, I just had, had nothing up my sleeve. Um, I had ordered a phone that was like a, a red Nexus phone uh, directly from Google. So I figured like, you know, nobody else is going to have this phone. I'm going to be cool and unique and it's going to be great. Um, and I go on a, a date with this girl and she pulls out her phone, puts it on the table. It's a red Nexus. And it's like, okay, well, that's a little obnoxious. I thought that like, you know, if you couldn't get it through the carriers that I would be unique. Um, and I go home a week later, still haven't landed on a name. And my mom pulls out this red Nexus phone. And that was the kicker where it was like, fine. Okay. Red <laughs> Nexus games. It has the acronym like RNG, which works well yeah, for yeah. the type of games we want to make. Um, yeah. I, I couldn't believe it. I was like simultaneously just like thought it was hilarious and also just kind of horrified. It's like, I'd gone so far out of my way. I thought. And then they were just being offered all over the place. <laughs> oh, well. You could have gone with Color Animal Games. That works too. You know, pig. But uh, wonderful story. That's just great. Um, so what platforms is Peglin available on? Yeah, great question. Um, right now, it is only available on Steam, so PC and Mac. And then it works pretty well on Linux uh, using their... Photon support, Proton support, Proton. Um, so we we did have a dedicated Linux port for a while, and then that was just like causing more headaches than it was worth. And we had never had any bugs reported with the uh, the port um, just through Steam's tech. So we were like, okay, just we're just going to get rid of that. Uh, but in exactly two weeks, if I'm not mistaken, uh, we're going to be launching onto Android and iOS. Um, I actually, I think like right after we have this discussion, I think both of our pages have just been approved by both companies. So I think I'm going to push them live for pre-registration, like right after this talk. Uh, and then two weeks time, April 25th, uh, which is going to be Peglin's like first anniversary um, of going out into early access. We're going to have a big content update coming out to all platforms and then launching on mobile for the first time. Wow. Is that going to be like... Pay and that's it. I mean, it's gonna be free to play, or is it just gonna regular one cost and there's your game? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's um, it is technically free to play, but what we're doing is like letting you play through the forest, just like on PC we had the demo. Okay. And then there's just like a one-time paywall, um, and this is something we've struggled with a lot. So it's gonna be about uh, nine dollars US. Um, so everyone on mobile is going to think we're insane and we'll definitely see, still hear complaints. And then we'll probably hear complaints from like our PC audience as well being like, I paid 20. Why do they only have to pay nine? It's, um, just, it's complicated. It, it and, is. Yeah. And, and, and thankfully can, there's, 
you can retort by saying yes, but you've got the mouse control or indeed thumbsticks. Stop it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And we're hoping that in the in the future we will be able to like get some mod support in and like provide extra value for players that are playing it on on a, an easier platform to mo you know modify and have different uh, options for. Um, but yeah, and, and there is some precedent, you know, with games like Slay the Spire and Stardew Valley and other premium games going to mobile for cheaper. Uh, but yeah, it really felt like like pick your poison. It's like either you cannot make everyone happy with this decision. No. Um, so it is what it is. We kind of landed square in the middle. Hopefully that's okay. It's better than like, you know, if we had gone to mobile and actually just tried to do it like a, a free-to-play thing. Like put a quarter in if you want to play the next level and... Yeah, that wouldn't have sat well with us. I, I worked yeah. on mobile games in the past, and it was just not what I want to do with, with my own company. It's not a set of values that I appreciate. So Yeah, it's peculiar. Yeah. We, I mean, you do have, of course, things like Apple Arcade, and uh, Google does its own thing too, I think. Uh, and then Netflix does its weird stuff, where you just go to Netflix and you get a bunch of awesome games with them, like, it's a bit strange. But um, <laughs> it's... Uh, no, I... I, I I applaud that, and it's a very—it's a perfect platform to to land. Yeah, on. thank you. It really is. Yeah, we we were actually talking with Netflix, and unfortunately, we couldn't like get something all the way through. Um, but that would have solved that problem. For it would have entirely. Yeah. Like, hey, this, you know, well, not entirely. We still would have no. heard complaints because people would have been like, oh, "I want wait, to play, yeah. but I don't have Netflix." I don't have Netflix. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> what are you gonna do? <laughs> you can't win. Anyway, um, Dylan, it's been wonderful having you on the show. Genuinely has. Um, and uh, you're more than welcome to come back talk about what's next cooking in your brain um, but until then thank you very much yeah sounds good Chris thank you so much for having me and uh, yeah it's one thing you know we've loved working on Peglin dearly um, but it has been in the books for about three and a half years for us now uh, we're all getting a little eager to at least start prototyping the next thing so Hopefully before too long, we'll be able to sit down and chat about something new. Awesome. But we will definitely be here. So thanks. You have been listening to the Sausage Factory podcast, part of the Cane and Rinse Collective. Support us for just two US dollars per month at patreon.com forward slash Cane and Rinse for early, extended and exclusive podcasts. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Twitch, YouTube and at our website, Hey, no rinse. Don't call.